Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hey, what's happening, Rush Nation? It is Wednesday. Apologies for the lateness of this podcast. It's been a crazy, crazy time. Uh, lots of things going on. And so basically we had to move the podcast Monday. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that I was in the Eurovision Song Contest for Lithuania at the weekend. But there were some people that were kind enough to tweet me um, and send the pictures. And like I said, I can't confirm or deny that I was in the Eurovision Song Contest in the Netherlands. But I'm just saying that could be a reasonable explanation as to why there was no podcast on Monday. I'm going to let your imagination do what you want uh, on that. Starks is hopefully going to come by and join us. He is just putting the little boy to bed, but uh, I'm never alone unless uh, literally everyone's deserted me. I do have two excellent friends of mine, two of my best buddies in this industry, and I'm so glad that we've got them on together because this has been a long time coming, well overdue. I brought with me the guys from the Fantasy Football Hustle, powered by PFF, um like i said been long time friends of the show uh both been on separately but they've never been on together i don't think they've ever made a joint appearance anywhere together 
Um, they can correct me. I hope not, because I hope it's some form of world exclusive. But it's Dwayne McFarlane, Brian Drake. Welcome back to Five Year Rush. Good to have you both here together. How are you boys doing? Excellent, man. Uh, I think this is the exclusive. I, yeah. Drake, I don't. I don't think we've done a show together anywhere, have we? Dwayne and I have never been in the same room together. So <laughs> let alone do it different, doing a different podcast together. Uh, it, it's great and. Yeah, we're, we're super excited to be here. You guys are such a great help to our show. You've been fans of ours. We're fans of you guys. We love, you know, the, the guide you just put out. We're so thankful that you let us uh, read an early preview of it. And we're excited to chop up a little football talk here during the week. Absolutely. And look, we're, we're coming to a really interesting period of the offseason now. We know the draft. We know somewhat the rosters. There's a few questions to be filled in. We've gone from that transition. The rookie drafts are meandering to a conclusion. So uh, we have bombarded our listeners with a ton of rookie questions. So I thought we're going to change lanes. We're going to get right into what's going on in terms of best ball. And then we're going to look at a little bit of redraft as this is now the sort of time where we start to look ahead to what's going to happen in the coming months. But before we do that, um, it's obviously been a while since you've both been on um respectively when you were last each on uh although drake was kind enough to phone us in uh, phone in and talk to us when we were talking eagles for for a while again so, i did that <laughs> from my car where i am now well at least your your audio is good from your car i'll be you know I, i'm inherently impressed because uh normally when i speak to people in the car it's, it's wishy-washy sound like you're in a washing machine although you, you do have a tornado coming towards you so if it does yeah. cut off <laughs> I'm in my car. I'm driving through. I live in New York State, and there is going to be a storm for here any minutes. So uh, if I get electrocuted, uh, just you know, pick up some of my futures bets that I laid on the Eagles to win the division, and you know, we'll be all good. I don't think that's the worst bet you'll make this year, um, to be honest. So I, I, I fully support that. So someone will will claim that. But uh, what, what's been going on with both of you? What, what's been happening in the last sort of six to 12 months we've been in the pandemic but what, what's been going on in terms of uh content and the you know fantasy and just the site and the podcast like what what have you guys been doing because the podcast is just going from strength to strength you're now part of the pff family like you you, you know you're taking over the world slowly both of you <laughs> yeah you hit the big thing um that our pod is now under the pff umbrella which we were super excited about um you know i started writing for pff last year and it was something that we had talked about a little bit and, you know, just with the pod growing and what they're trying to do with their footprint, you know, and, and really how our, our show does have an analytical bend. Um, I use a lot of their data to power, you know, my projections and do those sort of things. It was just really, you know, a natural fit. And, you know, we're excited to be part of it because, I mean, they've already got a guy like Ian Hartis, right, who's amazing, right, at what he does. He's got a great pod. They have Andrew Erickson on there. Yeah of all the different guys rotating through, I got to do that show, you know, every other week, last week, I mean, last year, um, you know, and the ratings on the show did, you know, really well. So it was just a natural fit, you know, for us. Um, you know, I know Brian and I, we talk about it all the time, you know, three years ago when we first started doing this, like he said, we've never even been in the same room together. Um, and I feel like we've been friends our whole life. Um, but we'll have these conversations all the time. We're like, I remember when it was literally like three people that would listen to our podcast and it was because we called them all and told them to listen to it before the show. <laughs> and that was the only people listening. Right. And they were the people giving us feedback and it just slowly grew. And after that first year and that second year, like we, it just it started exploding. Um, and so we're just thankful, man. Like we look at it and we're like, wow, like 
we're on, we're with PFF, you know, we, we get all these downloads. We've got a lot of people listening, you know, people are excited about it, but you know, we're also always pushing for more, you know, especially Brian, he's always got ideas. He's coming to me. Hey, what if we do this? What if we do this, man, we got to get it up to 10,000 listeners. Um, you know, so he's super motivated. We're both motivated to keep making the content better. Um, and so we'll have some things up our sleeve this year. Um, I'll be even deeper in the data from a PFF perspective. So if you've, if anybody on here, you know, hasn't checked out the utilization reports on pro football focus, I highly recommend, you know, you do that. And so there's going to be some additional things now that I've had time to like, let the data, you know, kind of soak in and figure out what's important and what's not. We're gonna have some really cool new stuff, you know, for, uh, the listeners in the coming months. That's awesome. It's 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 so good, and, and you know I love the podcast. I've been listening for for years, or I I wouldn't say since the beginning, but probably not long after that. Hopefully, probably missed the first few months, but um, it really has gone from from strength to strength. And you know, you guys are, are killing it with the live streams and, and everything you do. And uh, one day when I don't have to sleep, I am going to gate crash one of your live streams. I'm a hundred percent determined to do it because it, it's a great show and. Um, you know, for the for the, the three or four people who listen to our show who aren't for some reason listening to yours because we, we promote a lot, um, you know, go go check out the guys at, at the FF Hustle podcast. It drops every Tuesday uh, night you do it, which comes out sort of Wednesday our time uh, it comes out. So make sure you definitely do that. But was keen to get you both on to talk uh, a little bit, as I said, about best ball because th- – Best ball has been an interesting journey here in the UK. It's something that kind of existed. Hardcore players would would do it, but it's not something that really has taken off. And then I feel this year, last year it got a big bump, but I feel like this year, maybe it coincided with underdog and all that promotion. But it, it seems to be this year, there's a lot more people in the UK doing best ball and i know loads of people have kind of already done best balls i know loads of people still kind of upskilling but there's not a great amount of resource here in the uk around best ball so i thought be really good because you guys have done you did recently the the invitational um and you you know you you've been deep diving uh best ball for the last few weeks so i thought it'd be really good to get you both on just to almost give us a bit of an education here in the uk around uh best ball um, some tips, some strategy, whether it's Underdog, whether it's DraftKings who have just launched their platform. I appreciate each platform is going to be different in terms of its, its system, but just some generic uh, tips and tricks. So I thought it'd be good for the initial thing. And whenever I talk to people about best ball, especially here in the UK, the general strategy is they go into it in a redraft mindset. They go into it thinking, well, I set my redraft tiers. I'm going to go in. I don't want to get a guy like... Um, will follow because he's too inconsistent and he's a bit up and down whereas a guy like will follow for maybe not necessarily this year because of the unknown situation but for best ball he's kind of a, a best ball darling because he can give you those game winning weeks so explain a little bit about why the strategy is significantly different and some of the things to to watch out for and and, and maybe approach differently when it comes to to best ball sure and you know one thing i would say is there are a ton of good resources, you know, um, in the States on this, you know, I would say rich rebar, um, you know, I would say everything on establish the run, of course, the stuff that's on pro football focus, like, um, I would say four or five years ago, there wasn't near the content like there is now on best ball. And a lot of it's around roster construction strategy and all those sort of things. And really, if you can learn more, like, like if, if you were to focus in an area, what I would recommend to people is really focusing on the roster construction component. Right. Because still understanding players and everything is going to be the same. 
but it's going to help you understand why you should think differently about the way you may, you know, approach the draft. And the number one thing, you know, is you're going to notice really quickly after the first couple of rounds um, that everyone else is approaching the draft differently. So if you're not ready for that, right. And you don't adapt, um, you know, then that's going to be a situation that's going to put you um, at a disadvantage, you know? So I remember when I first started, you know, doing best ball, one of the things that, you know, caught me off guard and I didn't spend a bunch of time researching it before I started was just like quarterbacks generally will go earlier. And the reason why is because people always draft multiple, right? Um, so people are typically going to draft, are going to draft, they're going to draft two, no matter what, right. And they're going to draft three all the time. Whereas I was used to a lot of the high stake leagues that I would draft in. And I still do this today. I may draft only one quarterback in the draft because I literally want to maximize getting all the upside I can, all those other positions, but knowing I can go back and get another quarterback later. Well, in this format, right. You can't do that. So you just have to, you have to understand those sort of things. Um, But I would say the biggest difference, you know, in my mind, you know, is really around the strategies. People want to deploy different strategies. They're less concerned um, about the players as resources, right. Than they are about building these different types of roster constructions. So I actually, I think you have this as a, as something we'll talk about later, but like you'll hear this year, the fragile RB, right? That's, that's a new thing you're hearing people talk about because a lot of the people that won these leagues and best balls last year, um, they only drafted four running backs, right? And so that's called fragile because you're not spending five, six, seven picks on backs, right? So if you think about it from a standpoint of in redraft, I may draft Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, um, you know, I may, I may draft multiple guys like that in late rounds, knowing, right, that whenever they hit, I can, I can put them in my lineup and I can move forward. Whereas over in best ball, like if they don't hit, I can't get them off my roster, right, and trade them out for something else. So what a lot of people decided, and you'll see this in ADP, like Alexander Madison and those type of guys, they're falling this year in best ball. And the reason why is because of the fragile RB strategy, which says basically draft you two or three running backs early. You probably want to have four by like round six or seven and you're done. Then you're going to max out receivers. You're going to get you a couple tight ends. You're going to get you two to three quarterbacks. But the big thing is having somewhere between nine and 10 receivers, right? And so in the order to do that, you've got to adjust your strategy. So what happens when all of a sudden there's this wave like this of all these people start doing this, it totally changes the way your draft's going to go from what a normal redraft would go. Right. Um, and what I have also noticed like early in redraft season as people, because typically people do best falls all summer and then August gets here and people go into more redraft. Like the first part of redraft season is almost more like best ball. It takes people time to switch over just like dynasty, right? You'll see people yeah. be higher on rookies, like in a June or a July draft than you will see them be in August. But I think those are the important things, you know, that you got to think through. You just will really want to read up, you know, on roster construction. You got to consider that quarterbacks can go earlier because a lot of times people try to get two, two good ones. That doesn't mean that has to be the strategy. And what I'll say, and Drake, you can jump in here. What I'll say is um, the one thing with this type of analysis is like every year when you look back, I do think about players because I think, you know, that strategy worked last year, but think, the reason why is because X, Y, Z happened, you know? So for example, if you were listening to best, best ball draft analysis around draft strategy at this time last year, people were saying, don't draft your quarterback till the 12th round. 
you know, it's proven you just wait till the 12th round. Well, the reason is because you had Lamar Jackson break out in 2019 and Patrick Mahomes broke out in 2018. Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes don't happen every year as 12th round players. So you have to, some of the information you take in, you got to really still put it through the lens of, okay, well, why did that work? And then think, does that really apply to this year? Is this a broad strategy or is that potentially a fluke just based on a few outliers and the way things may have played out, right? Because if you tried to wait until the 12th round last year um, at quarterback, things didn't work out as well, right? From a best ball strategy standpoint. So um, does that help? I mean, I, I kind of hit yeah. on several different things there, but. No, I, I think it does. And I think it's an interesting point you raise because I, I think that key part is the strategy change is, so, you know, you'll hear fragile RB a lot, as Dwayne said, it's, you know, going with four RBs early and then sticking with that. The, the problem with with that strategy now, I find, is, is you see everyone's in it. It's the new rage. So the problem you kind of have with that is you're now going to struggle to keep an advantage doing that because yep. everyone else is at it. To the point now where I, I genuinely believe that <clears throat> zero RB is now becoming a strategy that I can get on board with in in best ball um i agree because you're able to get at the top end of the roster you are now able to get three wide receiver ones comfortably on adp right now and then if you can get them and get an rb in like round five or round six and you get someone who's not completely useless but someone who has like, for example, David, you can still get like a David Montgomery or a Chris Carson in that kind of fifth round range who aren't completely worthless, but they got salt. They're solid running back twos. They're solid mm. running back twos. They, they're not going to give you the the upside of, of you know, the Christian McCaffrey's, the Antonio Gibson's, uh, but they are going to be there and, and help. So. Yeah. Um, and I think the key, right. Also is if it depends like what your what type of league are you playing in? Right. Are you playing an underdog where there's a, a billion teams, you know, and they're all doing it the same way. I think a very good way to approach it. Right. Because here's, what's going to happen in those leagues. You're going to have every single way to Sunday, people drafting those four running back combinations and creating every stack out there right? Bengals stacks, Dolphin stacks, Cowboy stacks. Like they're, they're all, there are tons of teams that you can stack without having to take a wide receiver too early, right? In those first rounds. So some of those that I gave are good examples. The Dolphins, you can do it with ease. Um, you can do it with the, with the Bengals. You can, you could get <clears throat> T Higgins and you could have um, Jamar Chase and you could have Joe Burrow, which I think is part of what's pushing mm-hmm. Jamar Chase's, you know, ADP up now as people are building all these Bengal stacks. So what I think is going to have to happen um, if you truly want a chance to differentiate and you're playing percentages, even though um, you may say, well, compared to last year, if I go this route, my percentage chance of winning my league is less. You're also, you're still gaining an advantage by being different. Right. And you have to calculate that into what you're doing. What, what is the, what is the value of your contrarianness, right. in the team that you're building, because I'm with you, I've, and I believe right now, like I've done five underdog drafts so far and I did them last week, just kind of trying to get ready for this and, you know, another show that we're working on um, to have some context. 
and everybody was doing the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, everybody. And when I looked after my second draft, I was I looked back and I did just what you did. I was like, man, if I would have built a zero RB team, like I could have came away with Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, and Allen Robinson, all three guys that are probably locks for 150 targets, right? So when you think about that, and then like you said, I could still come back. I could even push it and go for another receiver, or I could mix a tight end in with, because I think there's an advantage this year with the tight ends. Um, you know, there's all these different ways to think about it, but you know, I'll stop and take a breath. Cause I know we get several topics to hit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, like I said, it's interesting because fragile IB is something that is coming up. There's, there's things that people are talking about with this and it's good. It, and we want to make people aware of that, but also just, just because everyone's doing it, that does not necessarily make it right. And as Dwayne said, there's values to be had with other strategies. Um, so just watch the board, watch what people are doing. So just um, take as an example, real quick, Murph, last year, like I just pulled it up on ETR. Um, this is something um, from Mike Leone. And if you'll, you'll see last year, people that did this strategy, the 4RB, the fragile, out of the thousands and thousands and thousands of teams, right, that did this, only about 700 teams, you know, that I'm showing that he's got here. Whereas people that were drafting five and six and seven and eight run back, running backs are in the high, high, high thousands. So last year, this was a, not only was this the right strategy, it was a contrarian strategy. Yeah. That's what helped it work right so well and differentiate. And, and so I think that's what you're kind of trying to tell people this year is like, Hey, if you go with a zero wide receiver, you're probably going to be in the minority. Meaning if it works, all of a sudden you leapfrog all the competition. Yeah. And I think when you're, you're entering those sorts of tournaments, whether it's DraftKings, whether it's, it's uh, underdog, you can't do what everybody else does. And the, you know, the, another reason why it's a good talking point now is, is the fantasy cares eliminators are going on. Um, and I'm just finding I'm fading RBs quicker. And I've always been, and Dwayne, we've always talked about RBs and how important it is to get RBs early in teams and in a favorable roster construction way, whenever we've talked, we've, been at that same belief that you want to get good solid rb production early because the position is so scarce and that is a it's still for me a core of one of my key strategy points but it's at this point now where people are just hammering that position so much i don't want to reach for a guy um in the i don't want to reach for miles sanders in the second round i don't want to reach for um you, you know players who who that's where you get into trouble you know there's so many players at the back end of that running back to middle RB2. I mean, like people are reaching for David Montgomery in the late second round. Like that's just too high. I know what he did last season. Um, you know, it, I think it's just crazy. I think that's what's interesting is, is to have that in the back of your mind. People are doing this. It's a great strategy. It worked last year, but you just got to be wary of it. With Stocks, Stocks has joined us. How you doing, pal? Gents, sorry for the uh, lateness to the pod. I, I had some family business to attend to, but I'm here. What have I missed? Where are we at? We, you sound like you're in a washing machine, first of all. It's very faint on your end. Okay. There we a high-end washing machine, though. How's, yeah, I mean, it is, it is like the nicest washing machine I've ever heard. But oh, any better. better? Yeah, much better. Um, so, Brian, is um, what you've missed, uh, and this is a good recap for anyone who's, who's just sort of joined the pod late, and thanks for, <laughs> for joining in at some point. Um, Brian is uh, driving, and there's a tornado. So we're waiting to see if, if he comes out of it. He's kind of in and out and in and out. He says he's pulling into a garage, so his wife's been a bit quiet. Dwayne and I have been discussing uh, best ball. So we've looked at 
Contrary strategy is fragile RB. We haven't got to stacking yet, so this might be a good point because I know some people are very curious about stacking. And there's a guy on, on Twitter in the UK side. He's uh, um, uh, NFL Best Ball UK. Uh, in fact, I'm going to get the handle right because he's a phenomenal guy. His name's Tom. He's a really good guy. In fact, he was just on the other day, the Underdog podcast with uh, Ian and Josh Norris. So he's doing some phenomenal work around around stacking, and that I want to look up his handle because um, it's Best Ball UK at Best Ball UK NFL. So at Best Ball UK NFL, check him out. His name's Tom, brilliant guy. Um, he's doing a lot of work on stacking strategies. You can go onto his website. He's doing them for Underdog. He's doing them for DraftKings. He's doing them for um, all the different sites in, in terms of uh, the way that you can stack rosters. So go check that out. But Dwayne, sort of explain to people who perhaps are hearing stacking for the first time what that kind of means, why it's useful for baseball, but then also why that might translate well into redraft as well as a viable strategy at a smaller scale, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. So really where stacking got popular um, was really in DFS, right? Mm -hmm. Daily fantasy. And so stacking is, is, is essentially you're taking... Um, multiple players from teams that correlate well with one another, meaning if, if player X does well, player Y also typically, you know, does well, you know, so um, easy way to think about it is quarterback and receivers, right. But especially quarterbacks and their wide receiver twos. So if a quarterback is going to have a huge, like a, a major blow up year, right. The biggest advantage is a lot of times getting the wide receiver two, because typically if a quarterback is going to lead the league, unless it's a, a big part of it is based on rushing, which you definitely have to take into account in this year's class of quarterbacks, because there's a lot of guys with great legs. But if you think about it from a passing perspective and you're like, you know, I think this quarterback's got a, a ceiling of over 5,000 yards passing this year, most likely, right. His wide receiver two or his second weapon is going to have to do really well. And so there's this high correlation between quarterbacks going off in a game or a season and also their second weapon, whether it's a tight end or it's a wide receiver too, also doing really well. So it doesn't mean that you just have to stack the wide receiver one with the quarterback. Now, some people will try to stack the whole team, but you have to look at, you know, what does ADP look like? I mentioned a few of those a moment ago, right? You got a team like the Dolphins that have basically revamped everything and if you believe that, hey, they're going to turn things around and they're going to run their offense differently, you could literally stack Tua and all of his weapons if you want it. I personally don't like the stack like the whole team. Um, very rarely will I do that. I like stacking it with one or two players, right? And I, I don't like to literally hitch everything just to one team because then the odds just become – you could hit lightning in the bottle, right? But I think it's much more likely if you can get their top weapon and their second weapon or just their second and their third weapon. Um, and I like the second and third weapon thing because they're usually going later in ADP and you get a super high correlation with your quarterback going off, right? Yeah. Your quarterback could be paired with the wide receiver one and just do okay. And the wide receiver one still have an awesome season. But what you're trying to do by stacking is you're trying to say, no, I think I really want my quarterback to go nuts and I want this player to well outperform ADP. So for me, when I'm looking at it, a lot of times it's really around the secondary and tertiary weapons on the team with the quarterback. And Brian talked about this a bit on your podcast with the invitational because he did something quite it would seem strange on paper, but it makes a lot of sense. In the in the late rounds, you took the 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 the, the Detroit Lions stack. You got Goff and 
is it Perriman and, and Williams you took? You, you took them for basically free peanuts at the back end of the draft. Yeah, and I, please, God, I hope I don't become fantasy famous over over that stack. But if it hits, victory laps will never end. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was just one thing I saw where I said, hey, there's an opportunity here that nobody else is looking at because everybody loves the Cowboys and, it, and uh, you know, the Bengals and those teams that Dwayne referenced. And uh, speaking of which, Noah's Ark just floated by here with some Bengals and Lions and Tigers on it uh, in this rainstorm. But, uh, yeah, I like going with sort of the, uh, the off-the-wall guys because if everything happened the way that the prognosticators thought would happen, fantasy wouldn't be any fun, you know? So mm-hmm. nobody likes that Lions team. Well, maybe they have to throw a ton because they stink. You know, I, I tweeted out how the, the Colts stacks are incredibly cheap if you want to get Carson Wentz with T.Y. Hilton and uh, Michael Pittman and all the weapons he has. And Dwayne got Zach Ertz. Geez, and with like the 14th round, what if he ends up in, in Indianapolis? So, you know, you just got to – you can't always try to go with this group think that's out there in fantasy. Get a little crazy once in a while. It's fun. I, I completely agree. And I, I tell you what, I, I, for some reason, I'm really drawn to the, to the jet stack because you can get them for virtually nothing. You know, what's Zach Wilson going to cost you? Like – He's going off at what, QB 28? I think he's coming off the board now, 27, 28. So he's pretty much free. Mims, everyone's forgotten about Mims. Um, you know, Michael Carter's going off cheap because he's a fourth round pick and no one's expecting a lot. Even P. Ryan, you never know. He might hold on to the job. I mean, Tevin Coleman. I mean, none of these players are particularly like interesting or, or sexy, you know, Corey Davis, because he's never really done it in fantasy until last season. None of these guys are household names, but you know what? It, it, it could just be one of those things. They just get it to work and it's costing you nothing. Like at the end of the day, if it doesn't work <laughs> and you're relying on your guys in the 20th round to hit, you kind of already lost. So I, I'm all for trying, you know, lion stacks and, and jet stacks at the back end of drafts because you know what? As you, as, as you said, Brian, it might just be crazy enough to work. And like, if it doesn't, it's it's not going to ruin you a lot because hopefully you followed a good strategy at the beginning, and most of your guys at the top are going to hit anyway. Yeah, look at look at the Las Vegas Raiders with Derek Carr out there. Uh, you know, he's got Henry Ruggs, and he's in a division now where you know they're going to be in shootouts. The Chiefs are great. You've got the Chargers who are emerging. Uh, Denver, imagine if Denver gets Aaron Rodgers. So now this Raiders squad, who has a very suspect defense and and corners, could be in shootout city every week. Nobody's paying up for the Raiders skill players. So, you know, just take a look. That's all we ask. Think a little deeper than just the names you hear every five minutes uh, on the big. Yeah, and there's some different ways to think about it. Like, um, like for me, the Jared Goff one is completely free, but I feel like I know Jared Goff, right? And I feel like he's completely capped. He sucks. So it's Just like, say it, eh, I don't, I don't, right. And, but you got him for free, right? You got him in the last three rounds. But there are a ton of other guys out there right now where you could theoretically say, we still don't know what their upside is, right? You don't know what, people have written Tua off, like completely. And they've totally revamped the offense. You know, he's going off as quarterback 20, um, you know, you, you've got, you could get Devonte Parker, you could get Will Fuller. Um, you know, none of those guys are talk, 
are costing you top five, top six round picks, right? You're getting them after that, right? And that doesn't include Waddle, right? As a rookie, Gasecki is a late pick. So you could you could do some different stacks with Tua, you know, trying, you know, different tandems, right? Of those guys. And they could completely open the offense up. And he's the kind of guy we just really don't know yet. You can't claim that we know what Tua is going to be. Like he really could like blow the lid off of things. Whereas a guy like, you know, Goff and some of the others, I look at them and even the Zach Wilson, I think that was a good one, right? Uh, Murph that you, yeah. that you bring up traditionally it is a little bit tougher for rookie quarterbacks, but I think there's a lot less right that we know about him. Whereas some of the others, I'm like, man, I kind of know where they are, mm. but I mean, there are other interesting veterans too. I mean, you, you know, I did one um, this past weekend, I did multiple drafts on underdog on underdogs. And one of the ones I did was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, because Curtis Samuel and Ryan Fitzpatrick are both super cheap and Logan Thomas is still not very expensive. Terry McLaurin's the only expensive asset, you know, outside of um, DCMC, you know, as Ian would yeah. call him, you know, Antonio yeah. Gibson. Um, you know, those are the only two expensive assets on the team. So the other cool thing about stacks like that is you don't feel like you have to force it and reach for guys. It's like, oh, OK, great. They took Waddle, but I can still get Devontae Parker right in the next round. Right. So it, I like having some of those teams where I have feel like I have options because I've watched the guys in my draft where I've seen them just force the stacks and I look at their team and I don't like it. Mm. I'm like, the only way your team is any good is if your stack hits. And even then I don't like the rest of your draft. Like you, you literally made the whole draft conform to the stack. Yeah. And I'd rather, I'd rather have options to stack players that allow me to do what you talked about um, Murph, which is early on build a solid team, up front and then think about some stacks that you could throw in that have upside. That That's the way I like approaching it. And that's just me. Look, that's not saying that's the only way. Um, I, I know some people that have been very successful just saying they're going into a draft to build this stack and they do it. And I've seen mm-hmm. them win. So, yeah. And I, I think that's key. You know, all these strategies we're throwing out here, with, uh, you know, they're kind of, I wouldn't say they're advanced concepts, but they're just, this is where the, the, the game of best ball has evolved so much. DFS has had a lot to answer for this, as you said, is where stacking originated from. And it's like, now it's becoming quite a big thing here in the UK. We're just throwing different things for you to try. And best balls are great. I'm running a load of free ones. People are doing underdog and that, that's quite cheap. You can do dollar, $2 best balls. You know, you can just get involved, have some fun with it. And that's what it's all about. And, and the way that I've always described it to people is it's my practice reps for when redraft comes. Yes, it's a very different ADPs are different, strategies are different, but it's just getting the reps. It's just seeing where guys are going off the board. It's just seeing trends. It's seeing what people are doing. It helps me with my projections because it's kind of telling me what the market is viewing on people. And you take it with a pinch of salt, but you're getting an educated guess as opposed to nothing at all. And you're taking a temperature of of what's going on and what people's heads are and where people's minds are at. And you get all this data. So, you know, best ball is really just some, some practice reps uh, ready for the redraft season for me. I, you know, I don't invest a lot of money in any money in, in best balls. Actually. Um, I just do it just to get a feel of what's going on, but it's such a good thing to do because you can just understand and get that kind of concept of just drafting, having some fun. Um, and just, if you got that itch to draft and you don't want to be in 50 leagues this year, best ball's the way to go because you can just draft and just let your team go and hey if you collect some dollars at the end of it happy days everyone's won and if you're not you've had some fun like if you pay a dollar and you've drafted for a few days or a few hours or however long it is 
it's a good investment. You, you get your fun out of it. And if you win some money at the end, great. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. So um, be good to get from you guys just before we transition into the redraft thoughts. Um, some, some of those late round guys, we talked a bit about those late stacks, but is there anyone right now on ADP that people should be looking to buy in those middle of the late rounds? Cause they are just being ignored. You mentioned Zach Ertz for me is a massive buy because he's going to get traded. Um, we all know he's going to get traded where he's going to go. is better than where he is now for his personal situation and probably for fantasy. So I, I think he's one, but, but who, what are some other uh, names out there you'd recommend? I always, I, I've been beating this drum, and today news came out that I think is going to make that even more of a reality. That's Deshaun Watson. Uh, Deshaun Watson now, you can get in the double digit rounds. You can stack him with Brandon Cooks, who nobody wants. This team is going to be losing every single game, and he's going to be throwing and running for his life. And news broke today that he may not even be deposed in his case at the earliest until February of next year, which is after the football season. So if that's the case and they don't put him on the commissioner's exempt list, there's a top five quarterback that you can get in double digit rounds. Like I get the guy could be, it's a scumbag thing. If he's, you know, guilty of these things, there's no question about that. But if you're just looking at a pure fantasy angle, why aren't you taking shots on this guy in a a $5, $10 best ball? Like that's nobody has more upside than him and you're getting him in the double digit round. So, I, I've been beating the drum on that, and uh, you know, Dwayne has much smarter measure takes than that. <laughs> I think drafting good players that you can get late for almost, you know, for free is never bad, Drake. And Deshaun Watson, I can't speak for what kind of human being he is, I, you know, one way or another, but I know he's a good fantasy football player. And I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. One thing that we talk about a lot, right, on our show is you got to play the new cycles. The new cycles are going to change throughout this off season. And as, as we go through June, July, and August, it's just like stocks, right? Certain prices are going to go up. Certain prices are going to go down. Right. And, and so you kind of got to pick your spots. Right. Um, so if, if there's just some news that you think, you know, is just depressing a player's value too far that you think is going to be mitigated or taken away by the time the season gets here, mm. you take a, you go ahead and take a swing on that kind of player. And so I think Watson's definitely, you know, fits into that mold. We saw that happen with Tyreek Hill a few, a few years back or a couple years back. So, I mean, there's, there's always something like this that comes up and you have an opportunity to take advantage of it, especially if you're drafting a bunch of teams, right? If you, and that is one cool thing about best ball is you could literally draft a hundred teams and just forget about it. Mm -hmm. You don't ever have to think about it again. If you draft a hundred redraft teams, there's hell to pay when the season gets here because then you have to manage all those rosters. And as much as you may love fantasy football, which I do, you know, that's a lot, that's a lot to manage. Um, So it's, it's good to be able to mix it up. A couple guys that I'll throw out there. um, And these aren't super sexy names, but like just as I've started diving into my projections and stuff, I'm like, man, ADP just doesn't match. One is Robbie Anderson. Mm. You know, as much as I love DJ Moore, why is Robbie Anderson going? Robbie Anderson's going wide receiver 32. DJ Moore's going, I think, in the top 12 receivers. Makes no sense. Right? They, they, they finish the same, right? Yeah. Now, they do have Sam Darnold. Um, who knows if that's an upgrade or a downgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. Sam Darnold is certainly, to this point in his career, shown nothing. But he's also probably been in one of the worst situations possible, right? So I don't think it's going to be any worse. 
Um, and I don't think it's going to change the way they're going to distribute the football, right? So you've got Curtis Samuel, who's gone to the picture. You've got a rookie in Terrace Marshall joining. I fully expect Robbie, they don't have really a tight end presence. I fully expect Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and, and CMC to be the three main targets, you know, mm. in the offense. And I expect them to be pretty equal. So I don't get the gap. Um, and the also with Robbie Anderson, talk- Robbie Anderson had two touchdowns last year. Yeah. It's, I mean, he, not... he is the he's the biggest candidate to touchdown regression of anybody this year, because exactly. there's no way a guy catches 100 balls for for two touchdowns. It's just not going to happen again. He's he's last year's it's... Robert Woods. He is last year's Robert Woods. Now exactly. he's got a perfect one. Stock. He's got a quarterback yeah. that can throw the ball more than five yards down the field now. Exactly that. <laughs> I think uh, Robbie Anderson. I've been taking uh, in so many drafts because he is yeah, an underdog. He's uh, 72.9 ADP right now. That's ridiculous. like, that's really good. Jarvis Landry is another one like Jarvis Landry. I mean, is going at 93. Okay. Brandon Ayuk goes 30 spots before Jarvis Landry. Um, Debo Samuel goes 13 spots before Jarvis Landry. I love Debo Samuel and I love Brandon Ayuk, but they're in the same exact offense that Jarvis Landry's in. Those two schemes are the exact same. And they're all basically wide receiver twos. Beckham should be the wide receiver one on his team. Kittle should be the first target right on the 49ers. You could argue really that Landry may be in a better spot because we don't know for sure what's going to happen right with tight end. Can they, can they have, can Austin Hooper, you know, can they truly break out right and have a guy that's going to, because last year he was like 15% of the target. So Again, I just look for things like that. It's kind of common sense stuff. You're like, okay, they're in the same offense. Jarvis Slander is a proven receiver. It's not that I think he's going to go off for 1,300 yards and 15 touchdowns. He doesn't give you that kind of upside, right? But I'm not really sure Ayuk and Debo give you that kind of upside either. They're much better at rack, right, run after the catch. Those guys are absolutely phenomenal at that. So there is some more upside with them, but not 30 spots worth. Right. So those are the kind of things that I'm typically looking for. Um, you know, the Robbie Anderson is a great example. The Jarvis Landry is another. It sounds, Dwayne, it sounds to me like you've got the underdog uh, ADP in front of you there. Whereabouts are the Bills running backs? Because I quite like them as a sort of late middle round stack. If you can grab them both late, you've locked up the Bills running backs. Either week, whoever goes off, you've got it locked in. Yeah, you could easily do that with the Bills. And I haven't done it yet. It's funny you say that, Stocks, because that's one that I've thought about just because I also know it's not going to be very popular. Um, so I'm looking for it right now. I want to say Zach Moss is going around uh, RB 35. He's Yeah, he's picked 95. Ridiculous. Devin Singletary is going slightly after that. Uh, he is going RB 46. Um, pick That's 145. You, you, you pick both of them and you've, <laughs> you've essentially got a running back to or a flex every week. Yeah. I've I've been trying to do that in my in the FC eliminators because I'm stuck in how's this for odds, right? I mean six, seven of them. Four of them I'm drafting seventeen. How <laughs> <laughs> oh. did that work? I didn't one realize of them, one of them was seventeen week leagues. As soon as I joined one, I go, I <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> and then and then on top of that, one of them was Jake CD's third round reversal. So, oh, well, that's all right. At least I'll, <laughs> that will work in my favor at 17. <laughs> but yeah, the, it, it's just like crazy. So I've been trying to deploy that strategy, uh, at getting both, at least one of them, Zach Moss in particular. But if I can get both, I, I definitely do that. How, um, how about the difference in ADP of the Jaguars running backs? I'm looking at it right now. And this is just off the charts crazy. Let me scroll up and I got to find 
uh, the rookie, Travis Etienne. He's coming off the board and underdog, and I'm looking this up live on uh, Establish the Run. RB22, he's coming off at 46 off the board overall. Now, they're going to run the ball a ton down here in Jacksonville. And let me find uh, James Robinson is 74th. They're 30 picks different. You're telling me that James Robinson and all he did last year, and now mind you, he won't get the passing down work, I'm sure, but 30 picks different. And now if ETN's not running the ball like we think he's going to, why are people drafting him in the top 50 picks of any draft? It makes no sense. And then, and then, do you know what? Throw that one in there. If you're going to target James Robinson, you know who you can get for free? Carlos Hyde, mm-hmm. who is the Urban Meyer l- love child. He absolutely <laughs> loves, absolutely loves Carlos Hyde. It's the is first acquisition he made. Like... <laughs> no, well, college, you know, Ohio State loved each other. You know, there's a reason it's that like Carlos Hyde was signed. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a reason that Carlos Hyde was bought to this roster. I do not believe that he has just been bought here for fun and experience like Tebow. I genuinely believe there is some sort of... Now, listen, I don't think his role is sexy. I In redraft, I don't want to touch him. But in best ball, because he's going to cost you zilch. Um, I don't know why his ATP is going right now. But it's low enough to where you can spend... He's not being drafted. Yeah, well, there no. you go. So why not with your last pick? Well, just he, he, he's RB89. So, I mean, he he may or may not be drafted. But if, so, if you think Hyde is going to be an issue, that just basically makes makes me want none of them because I yeah. think that Trevor Lawrence is also going to, you know, scoop up a few of the touchdowns, right? Oh, rushing. 100%. So, yeah, I, it makes I don't me, like when I think about – I don't yeah, like I'm not a big – yeah, we had Jay Moyer – and Matt Waldman both on our show. And after they both basically douse Etienne with gasoline and lit it on fire, like I was like, okay, like I, these are two guys I trust pretty much more than anybody, right? Is being able to understand film and, and truly dissect it and, and know what it means. And they were out. So I, I think I'm just out, you know, on the Jacksonville uh, running back situation. But if they think Etienne's that bad, maybe James Robinson really, you know, is the pick. I don't know. Yeah. But if you're just unsure when you want to hit your back, Carlos Hyde is there. You never know. He could just have a Carlos Hyde week. It's what he does. He vultures, touches, he does things. You just never, never know. Um, cool. Let's focus a little bit onto um, this sort of redraft. Just getting some initial thoughts, painting some pictures a little bit. Appreciate it's really early. We're still establishing ECR and, and ADP. Um, but based on what you're seeing here, you know, when you talk about roster construction, probably more than the most and, um, it's what I've always loved about your content is the way you think about how you're structuring roster. You're not going in with a predetermination. You're just saying uh, in an ideal world, an ideal scenario, this is what I'd like to come out with in the first five rounds or four rounds. Um, and I know when you were on previously, we talked about the value of that third round, fourth round area of, of getting a running back there, but making sure you, you don't fall in the traps um, and reaching for the wrong guys. Yep based on this sort of roster construction on early ADP, do you think there's a, a huge difference on last year? Cause I, you know, the big talk towards the end of last season was there's no way there's going to be 10 running backs in the first round. Not like last year, not with all these injuries and all these, all these players going down and Zeke being bad and, and Mixon going down and Chubb going down and CMC going down. Like there's no way there's going to be 10 running backs. And then look at ADP now and there's 
10 running backs going in the first 12 picks. So <laughs> do we think there's going to be a, a huge shift in terms of people's thinking in, in terms of running backs this year or and in, in that initial roster construction phase? In the, uh, where would you like to walk away from the first or the four or five rounds of your draft with, ideally? Yeah, I think it's just, it's a good time right now for, for running backs, right? There's just a lot of good ones, right? So that's the why it goes this way. People, people get so blown away by this stuff, right? But there was a time when it was really, it just made the most sense to do a zero RB team, not just to be different, but because that's just how you got the best players, right? Back when Julio Jones and AJ Green and Antonio Brown were all in their prime, and no running backs were being taken in the first round of NFL drafts until finally, like as a third rounder, David Johnson kind of broke through and they're like, Oh wow, we have a first round running back again. And then Zeke got drafted, right? Um, Todd Gurley before that got drafted and all of a sudden teams started putting capital because there were good players coming out again. Um, now all of a sudden we had all these great running backs and it's continued on and carried on. it's just, you know, every once in a while you'll go through, you know, a lull. Um, so I think it's just the fact that there are, you know, a lot of good backs that have upside for a lot of touches. I do think, you know, as you start to get down to the end of the first round, it gets kind of weird, right? When you're still sitting there staring at Devonte Adams, right? The question hanging over Aaron Rodgers is another piece of news you could use. I think Aaron Rodgers is still going to be a Packer. I, I can't say that I know that for sure. I just really do think he's still going to be a Packer. And I think by the time we get to midsummer, Devontae Adams is going to cost more than he does right now. Sometimes you get him to come around the corner to you uh, at the beginning of the second round. Like if you get that, like you should just take it like all day. Right. Cause you know, Adams as good as he's been, even with the running backs we have that are available, let's say you even cut it off at around six or seven. And let's say you include Zeke right in that group. Like really Adams shouldn't go anywhere past that. Like, like he should, I, I like Devontae Adams over, you know, Jonathan Taylor, as far as if you if you told me, Dwayne, you have to pick which guy has better odds in a PPR league to score 300 points. Now, you're not asking me necessarily which one may have this super huge upside, which I think Adams arguably carries upside floor. He carries all of it, right, in a PPR kind of format. But I think that's what people, they get stuck on this fear of missing out, right? And so they want to have the new thing. Until the new thing burns them, like, Clyde Edwards Alaire. And now look, he falls to the third round. Joe Mixon burns people. Now he falls to the late second round. If you've ever thought Joe Mixon was good in your life, and don't lie, people, you all did at some point. Because I've heard about Joe Mixon for three years. This is the year. This is the year. This is the year, unless you're <laughs> Brian Drake, you draft Joe Mixon. Yeah. You have no Gio Bernard. You're all we care about really in fantasy. Obviously, we want talent and we want touches. But if I have to pick, I just want the touches. And Joe Mixon's going to get all of them. Joe Mixon is probably going to have 300 carries. He's probably going to have 80 targets. Like, it's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that's going to immediately make him a, a player that, you know, has a chance to be, you know, worth top eight, ten, like out of everybody, of all the players. And so he didn't have that before. And last year we told people not to draft him for that reason. So you just have to adapt to the information. But as far as what I want, here's what I would give people advice about. If you can do anything, if you're thinking about the first five rounds this year, you really need to think through um, round three and five. That's where the drop offs are, especially if you're picking around pick seven, eight, nine, ten. you're picking at the, the end and you're in a snake format in the third round, you get to this pivotal spot on running backs and it literally, it goes like it goes, it just, it's gone. 
right? And it's not that there's players that you may not like, like David Montgomery, Chris Carson, but but the names that you truly thought had that big upside that you really loved, they're gone. And it doesn't mean you don't take these other players, but you need to already have that talk with yourself in your head of when I get to round four and I'm staring at Chris Carson, even though I know he, he may not have the upside of so-and-so, I need to know whether or not I need to take him based on what I've done in the first three rounds. Because after that, when it comes back to you again in the fifth round, it's getting even worse. And now you've got a, you, you, you may have a chance at a Miles Gaskin. You may have a chance at a Mike Davis. But Mike Davis, you know, a picture came out of his quad, like being as big as our bodies. And seriously, it's actually moved his ADP. Like his ADP has gone up a whole round. It's gone up around since that picture came out. But again, so this is playing news cycles. That'll go away. Mike Davis's watch. Mike Davis's ADP will drift back down, like into the sixth round. You'll you'll start to be able to get him there again. And so there are other backs that you can get. But in the fifth round, receivers do the same thing. About the middle of the round, all of a sudden you're like, receivers so deep, it's so deep, it's so deep. And all of a sudden you're going to hit this slew of receivers where you're probably going to feel like they're all the same. Mm. And you're like, which one do I take? Like Jamar Chase is going in the fifth round as a rookie receiver. Right now, he's going at the end of the fifth round. And I think here's why, because people are looking at it and they're looking at all the names like Tyler Lockett and all these other people. And they're like, but I just don't know about Jamar Chase. It's the fear of missing out, right? He's got all this upside. So my main point to folks is like, you need to really go study, like look at the ADP, see where those drop-offs are. The last thing you want to do is it gets to your pick and you're panicking, right? So what I do when I get to a spot like that, and I think things are all equal, like, I like this player and this player and this player and this player are the same across these positions. I literally, you have to play chess. You need to start thinking multiple moves ahead. You really should already be doing this from the beginning. But I think to your point earlier, Murph, if you're picking towards the end of, of the first round, it gives you an optimal opportunity. If you're willing to not be sexy at running back to start off with two receivers, actually three, go three receivers, come back in the fourth round, but you have to, tell yourself I have to take Chris Carson yeah like no matter what like I gotta take Chris Carson here like that has to be my move right and then coming back in the fifth what you're saying is whoever out of Miles Gaskin and Mike Davis is available I'm taking right and that's going to be my and that's just one way you can you can play it but my point being is in the middle of the third and in the middle of the fifth coming back down it's I've noticed in the drafts I've done and I haven't done a ton yet but that's the moment where I all of a sudden feel uncomfortable yeah. I'm like, I, I don't have conviction around which player to take, right? So you got to really think through that. And when it gets like that, it becomes much more about the roster construction strategy than just which player do I like, right? Because more often than not, they are going to be similar, right? But you got to be thinking ahead so that you don't basically shoot yourself in the foot. And three rounds later, you're going, crap, I should have taken Chris Carson. I literally have no one now. Like you can't leave yourself exposed, Completely agree. And it's, it's an interesting thing. One of the things I, I'm starting to notice more and more with commentary now, I was in a very lonely place in January and February where I was out there saying, Jonathan Taylor is single-handedly the most overhyped and overdrafted player I'm going to see this year. And I was like, there's just absolutely no way I can take Jonathan Taylor with a first round pick. It's just not going to happen. And now people are starting to go, oh, maybe we don't. I, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to fall into the second round of ADP. And really, realistically, he should be at the back end of the second round. I, I do not understand, and I've not understood for months, 
why people are talking about Jonathan Taylor as a first round pick. I don't get it. I never have got it. I don't understand what who what what people have thought in Frank Reich that makes you think that he is a, a bell cow coach who's just going to give all the touches to Jonathan Taylor if there is absolutely nothing there. They've just signified that that's the case by bringing back Marlon Mack. Like I, Naheem Hines isn't going anywhere. Like I just I've never understood this whole Jonathan Taylor first round ADP thing. And I just it's the same thing, yeah, as Joe Mixon at the end of the first or beginning of, of the second last year. It's the same thing as, as Josh Jacobs and Drake and I steered players away from those guys. And, and here's the other reason why. You just don't have to. You could take Devontae Adams. You could take Stefan Diggs. And and you're basically hoping that Jonathan Taylor can score as much as they can on a really good season if everything broke his way. And you don't even have to worry about it with those guys, right? So that, that's the thing. That's where FOMO comes in, the true fear of missing out whenever you start saying, I got to take Jonathan Taylor over Devontae Adams. Like, you, you're freaking out. Like, you need to calm down. You need to take a Xanax. Just chill. Like, you don't need to do that. I'm not, I'm not saying that can't work. I'm not saying Jonathan Taylor can't be a great player. Jonathan Taylor, there is a path for him to being a top six back. There's just a lot of obstacles with it that I don't necessarily want to have to deal with. And maybe you take him and it hits and you can tell me I suck. And I'm okay because I'm just going with a process. It's nothing against Jonathan Taylor, the player. It's just a process of doing this for so long. When you see these backs in these situations where you know you've got coaches that love to get these other backs involved and they just keep doing it over and over and over. Gruden, Mixon were examples again last year. Man, if there are other options that are sitting there that you know you don't have to have those same worries with, just, you know, don't put yourself through it. You know, just, just take Stefan Diggs, take Devontae Adams, take DeAndre Hopkins, take any one of those guys. Heck, people are taking Jonathan Taylor ahead of Ezekiel Elliott. I know. <laughs> it, it, it literally baffles, baffles the mind as to what people are doing um, with that. But uh, let's, let's paint this scenario in real life, okay? So you could literally have the choice of Devontae Adams and either Antonio Gibson or Austin Eckler. Or you can take Jonathan Taylor and you could, if you went RB, you might get Aaron Jones. If you went RB, RB. Or you're looking at maybe if you're falling, you might get Hopkins if you're getting really lucky or Justin Jefferson. That is really, or AJ Brown. That's kind of, you might get the most common being there. Jonathan Taylor, AJ Brown. This actually, this actually happened in our fantasy football hustle invitational last week where Dwayne at uh, seven overall uh, or eight overall, excuse me, took, I did take Taylor. No, you took. I took ta- oh, no, I took Taylor because yeah, I told people Taylor every draft I've been in, he goes in the top six, and this is the only way I'll own him on any team. <laughs> if you look, his options there, he took Taylor in the first. He could have had uh, Chubb, could have had Akers, could have had Eckler. Coming back in the second round, he had his choice of wide receivers like Stephon Diggs, AJ, uh, yeah, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Hopkins. He could have taken running backs Mixon was there uh Najee Harris but uh Dwayne kind of beat me to the punch on that third round through fifth round kind of void and we see this every year in fantasy football where there is this kind of black hole of running back and it's guys who currently have jobs but they're hanging on by a threat they either have injury concerns they have talent concerns maybe the team's not very good And if you go through that list of guys right now from rounds like four to six, 
you know, Chris Carson starts out there. He's no picture of health. Uh, Chase Edmonds, we don't know how long he's going to hold up. Uh, and they added James Conner, the Raheem Mostert, you know, he, he stays as healthy, you know, as a, a guy with COVID <laughs> dancing, you know, in a lightning storm. Uh, Michael Carter, he's a rookie. We don't know what he's going to do. Mike Davis, again, Miles Gaskin. These are guys who kind of emerged last year to take jobs, but maybe it wasn't because they were great talents. It's just because they seized the opportunity that was in front of them. I don't want to stake my season on a Miles Gaskin, who's maybe limited talent-wise, because I wanted to get all these receivers ahead of them. When you can have great receivers after, you can start taking receivers in like the sixth round Still have top thirty receivers on on your team. I'm still deep. not convinced. Miles Gaskin is going to be the lead back there. I'm still not convinced. I can just see the Dolphins doing something crazy and pulling in Todd Gurley or something random because it's what they do. It's what they've done the last couple of years. You know, they trade for people like Matt Breida or they sign Jordan Howard to a two year deal. Like they literally just bring guys in to see if it's going to work. And then they, you know, mm-hmm. no one can convince me that the dolphins have this. I mean, they have a grand plan, but they, because they have so many picks and they have a lot of cash, they can just take shots. They could just bring in a guy and say, Hey, look, we're going to give someone $5 million. And we're going to see if it works. And if it doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> like they, the other thing though, I think the other you know thing what? I think Absolutely. you can say though, is they had so many picks that they didn't use one on a back. Like kind of makes me think that they're an analytics team, right? Yeah. That they're like, look, we have this guy that costs us nothing, unlike the Jags. Yeah. And he was okay last year. And we just want to build everything else out. Like I actually like Gaskins in, you know, the fifth, sixth round. If I've loaded up on receivers, I think that it does give you that option. Um, like Brian said, like Yell's point is very valid though. Like these are guys that are hanging by a thread. I guess where Brian and I differ a little is I, I do believe the wide receivers drop off as well, right? I, I don't see it as, oh, man, I can draft guys in the sixth round that are going to be these great wide receivers, right? We say that every year, and it just doesn't work. There's two or three of them that end up that ends up being true about, right? And if you drafted those guys, it's great. But if you didn't, you pretty much drafted, right, a sixth or a ninth round receiver, which is going to be you don't know which weeks to start them a lot of times in your fantasy lineup. I mean, you can wait. And you can get Tyler Boyd and Juju Smith-Schuster and Will Fuller and DJ Chark and Brandon Ayuk and Jarvis Landry and um, Chase Claypool. But again, all those guys, any one of them could take, you know, uh, not any of those, but some of those definitely, they're different types of guys. Some of those are floor guys. Some of those are ceiling guys, right? They've all got a different narrative to them that are pretty, it's actually pretty appropriate, right? Like Brandon Ayuk, as much as I love him, he's on a run first offense where he could be the third weapon. Best case, he's the second weapon on a run first offense. That means he's got to be hyper efficient to pay off and really make it, you know, oh my God, he's a wide receiver one this year. You know, for that to happen, like he's going to have to do it on like 75 catches. It's going to be really hard to do, right? He'd have to have like a nutty, crazy, weird touchdown year. Um, and it's not to say Ayuk isn't worth owning. It's not to say Debo isn't worth owning. Not, I'm not saying that at all. I think that you get into a lot of questions though, as you get deeper into the receivers. Yeah. I, I completely agree. There's a there's a back here I want to ask you a question on. I'm going to ask Drake because this is his team. Miles Sanders. Now, listen, I was famously out on Miles Sanders. I said it time and time again that last year he was the most overdrafted player. You're buying a guy who is just not going to get the volume that you hoped for. 
you know, he finished up as a very low end RB2, even I think in some formats, he was outside the top 24 running backs. But this year, even though Hertz is there, and even though Hertz is going to hurt him a little bit, no pun or pun intended, you can choose whichever way you like. Um, I do think this is a bounce back year for Miles Sanders. And I have him projected at the top end of the running back two conversation. Am I crazy? Or do I really think that Miles Sanders is an opportunistic buy in that sort of third, mid third round range, if you can get him there? And I'm asking Drake because it's his team. So he'll give me the internal insight. Yeah, so, so really, when we look back at Miles Sanders last year, we had a lot of things going against him. He had really poor quarterback play. You had an underachieving defense. But first and foremost, you had a very beat-up offensive line. By the end of the season, all you had left was uh, Jason Kelsey, an aging center. So if you get everyone back this year, and now you've got all pros in there like Brandon Brooks, like Lane Johnson, uh, Isaac Sayamalu. They've got this big you know, freak of a, a left tackle in Jordan Maialata. They drafted a kid Landon Dickerson out of Alabama. They've got depth, and if they have health, it opens up a lot. We've seen what Shane Steichen, the OC, who came from the Chargers, likes to do. We know what the Colts like to do, where Sirianni came from. They do want to run the football, and Carry on Johnson, he's going to be the, the number two most likely. He's there to be a pass protector. Kev Gainwell, the kid they drafted out of Memphis, I'm looking to see him as more of kind of a sheer. If they can get on a roll and get him carries and number one, get him in the screen game. The screen game was non-existent in Philadelphia last year. And in their heyday, you know, 17, when they won the championship, they were a great screen team, and they totally got away from that last year. So if he can catch a couple of screen passes, make that part of the offense, which we saw in Indianapolis last year, the screen game was off the charts, Miles Sanders is going to return top 15 value and and be a nice pick if you get him late second, early third. Not gone crazy. That helps. <laughs> Stocks, what about you? We've we've got we've got here two really sharp minds in fantasy football. So, are there any players you are thoughts on where you're at? Because I know you've recently gone through your projections. Players you're struggling on. You want to ask these guys? I mean, uh, did I miss any tight end talk at the beginning? Or we've not or... done tight ends. Okay, so let, let's talk some tight ends. Obviously, Murph and I, a few, I say years back now, we had the great tight end debate where I was all aboard Travis Kelsey at the end of the first, beginning of the second, and Murph wasn't there. And now I think he's come round to the fact that Travis Kelsey is possibly the only tight end he's willing to take at that period because of how much he is ahead of every other tight end in the game. But uh, are you guys... Do you think there's any other elite tight ends that you could possibly snag in the early rounds or are you all about dumping the tight end until right until the very end of the draft and, and almost streaming the position after Travis Kelsey? Yeah, for me, you know, Kelsey is the one that's worth taking in the first round, right? Um, then I think you have Kittle and Waller and, and you can take those in the second or third round. And here's why I look at Kittle and Waller that way. What I tell people with tight end is, is just forget you know, that it's a tight end or it's a receiver or it's a whatever, right? They're on a great offense. And are they the main weapon in the offense? All three of those guys are the main weapon in their offense, 
right? Um, now, Kelsey, I mean, obviously there's Tyreek Hill, but he's got a quarterback that can support too, right? San Francisco, you need to be the one, you know, because it's a run first type of team. And in and, and Vegas, there's just really nobody else that's proven themselves. I mean, John Brown will help stretch the field now. He'll kind of be Nelson Aguilar from last year. Henry Ruggs still hasn't proven himself. But Waller's shown time and time again now. I mean, it, you know, it feels weird like this guy because he's older. But really, this is only he's going into his, his third season of, of being an elite tight end. And so we know that he can do it. So I'm willing to take those guys early. After that, you know, you kind of get that next tier with Mark Andrews. And I, and I think Andrews is, is slipping, you know, a little bit this year. Um, like looking, uh, you know, he, he's clearly going about 30 picks after those other guys are gone. Right. So you kind of get a, you get like a two and a half round pause after Waller goes and typically Andrews will, or Hawkinson and blowing my mind, like, or Pitts <laughs> beat the next one off the board. And I love Kyle Pitts, but I'm like, man, you guys are really assuming the absolute best about what, how they're going to use Kyle Pitts and it could hit. But again, it's just a matter of what else are you giving up on in the fifth round? So for me, like to answer your question stocks, like I'm willing to take one of those first three, if, if the draft falls to a weird spot where you hit one of those holes, like in the fifth or sixth round, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm, I'll entertain Andrews or Hawkinson. Typically I'm not though, because really who I like this year and I, I'm excited about, and they go later. I like Irv Smith, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to earn, I'm going to own a ton of Irv Smith. <laughs> um, and, and I think he'll be the third option on his team but he's going to be in a hyper-efficient scheme, right? So he'll be George Kittle without all the targets that George Kittle's going to get. But I think Irv Smith could still easily put up 700, 700 yards, eight or nine touchdowns, basically give you a Robert Tanyan season, right? Um, he, he's not going to have all the targets that the other guys are going to have. The other guy that I think that I would take, you know, even sooner than that, that I think is being incredibly undervalued is Tyler Higby. Higby's issue is we just had to trade off between he and Gerald Everett all the time, right? And so – now it's going to be Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and it's going to be Higby. And so I think those three guys are all going to be in that 20% range from a target perspective. So Higby and Irv Smith are the two guys that if I don't get one of the top three, which honestly I ha- I've, I'm eight drafts in now and I haven't drafted any one of them in the top you know, three rounds. But I, I am willing and I will have some teams where I do it. So right now, the guys and Brian in the Invitational, um, the Fantasy Football Hustle Invitational, he was a prick and he took, he reached on Tyler Higby. Um, I want to point out that it was a reach. Um, and so I wasn't able to get Tyler Higby. Um, that was my target. Um, and then there are a couple of other names. Now, I don't want to hang my hat on these, but if I get Irv Smith, I'm definitely going to try to add like Adam Troutman is another guy. Um, Anthony Ferkser. Um, and then the other name, right. That's just, nobody's talking about basically because he's an old dude, but he's really probably in a good situation is Jared Cook. Jared Cook. Nobody's talking about Jared Cook. Uh, like, I've drafted him in almost every, every draft. I've All drafted Jared Cook. Yeah. Or auto pick in the 14th, 15th round every time. Just, yeah. Just slam like it. Tight, tight end 20 going off the board right now. You know, he could very easily be, you know, Top six. it's a team that's going it, to, yeah, it's a team that's going to spread the ball out too, right? Keenan Allen's going to be the clear number one, and then it's going to be spread out across Mike Williams, Cook, and Eckler. Yeah. But they could all be in that 15 to 20% range, you know, 15 to 18% 
target share on a team that could throw the ball a lot and has a, a promising young quarterback, you know, Jared Cook's still athletic enough. He was, he was not utilized very much right in new Orleans. He was basically used just as a seam ripper. You know, they didn't use him for all the different ways that you could use him. So those are the guys that I'm, that I'm taking shots on late. If I don't take one of the ones. Let's not forget that, that, that the Chargers probably have the most improved offensive line of any team in the NFL this year. Like, you think of what they did last year with a horrific offensive line. And then now you're actually going to give Herbert even more time to, you know, find those reads to, to make the plays he wants to make. And do you know what? If they're not there, Jared Cook's going to be there just to scoop up anything underneath. I, I love Jared Cook. I think he's just on auto buy in almost every draft because he's just going for practically nothing. Yeah. I, I love, I love that pick. When I look at the tight end position, my two big targets, uh, I love Dallas Goddard, not to just be a Philadelphia homer, but you look at the size that he has compared to anyone else on that Eagles roster, especially in the red zone. Jalen Rager and Devonta uh, Smith, I mean, profiled as seventh graders. They're not the biggest guys on the field. So if you're looking for a tight end uh, or someone to you know, get some red zone looks, I really like him. I like Higby a lot, as Dwayne alluded to. Uh, Hawkinson is going to lead the Lions in targets without question. Uh, and then if you want to go a little later, how about uh, on Dwayne's Cowboys, Blake Jarwin? I think he's going to, in a best ball especially, he might not catch a lot of balls, but I think he's going to score seven, eight, nine touchdowns. And up in the Pacific Northwest, what about you know, leaving Seattle, or leaving the Rams? And it's uh, Gerald Everett. I mean, now there's not a lot of competition for targets. It's really two main guys that dra- uh, draft Dwayne Eskridge. Why can't he become that guy that they were hoping you know, for years Jimmy Graham and, and Greg Olson was? So I, I really like really late uh, Gerald Everett in best ball. And I might take a shot at him as a backup in a redraft league too. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think uh, there's a lot of guys. I think it's a more interesting position than ever, but I'm still, because of that, still going to just leave it till late. I think there's more late round tight end guys now than there ever has been. And I still think as a result of that, so many of these guys are going to go undrafted, especially in redraft. And I think this is the year. If you've ever, ever just looked at streaming and thought, mm, I want to do it. I just don't know if it's a bit of work or I don't know if the position is going to dry up. I tell you this year, it's not going to dry up. You can stream the tight end position all year long and you'll be fine. I streamed the tight end three last year. Yeah. Do I think that's going to happen again? Probably not. But I do think I can still stream a top five tight end just from what's going to be left over in the waiver wire. I think it's not going to be that difficult, but we'll save that debate for another day because uh, it's been a, an awesome episode. Learned a lot from this. I think our, our listeners have too. Um, guys, give yourselves a plug as to where they can find the podcast, where they can find your work. And, and Dwayne, I shared out your article earlier about projections because a lot of people uh, ask about that um, quite frequently and uh, by far the best article I've ever read on projections. So um, if you want to find my tweets on that, it would be the last tweet I sent out, I think. So, uh, But tell everyone where they can they can find you. Sure. Thank you very much for that. Um, so you can find my work, obviously, at Pro Football Focus. You can find me on Twitter at Dwayne McFarlane. I also write for Establish the Run. Um, you know, I previously did some work with Matt Waldman. So if you're looking for the article that Murph is actually talking about, actually, that's back on mattwaldmansrsp.com. And so you just search Dwayne McFarlane and Matt Waldman RSP. You'll see the projection article where I break down everything about how I go about creating those projections. Awesome. You can find my work over at fightingchancefantasy.com when I like to go scorched earth and just light up the fantasy 
industry. And I, I got another one brewing. There's a lot of folks who are crybabies and whiners and want to be fantasy famous out there. So I'm going to have to light some people up in my next article. Uh, I'm not trying to make any friends, but yeah, you can go to fightingchancefantasy.com and read that. I'm on Twitter at Drake Fantasy. And of course, check out the YouTube page. Just go to YouTube, search Fantasy Football Hustle. You'll find us there. Give us a little uh, subscribe and you can check out all our work there. And uh, you know, maybe there'll be some new fun stuff coming down the, the pipe with uh, a little collaboration between our shows. Five Yard Lee and myself have been talking a little animation, but that's uh, for another day. Oh. I, uh, I I may have a sneak inside peek at that, uh, Drake, because Lee had a tab open on the screen when we were doing the screen share once, and he quickly closed it and wouldn't talk about it. But I got a I got a <laughs> sweet inside idea as to what that is. But boys, listen, I'm sorry for my tardiness today. I uh, I couldn't get here any sooner, but I managed to get here. I managed to talk to some tight ends, so I'm all happy. It's an absolute pleasure to have you both on, and we'll have to do it really soon again because when we get talking it seems that drake dies in for a car and and we just talk football so it's always good fun and yeah appreciate you boys coming on massively massively appreciate your time but rush nation until the end of the week enjoy the dynasty pod enjoy the college pod and as always don't forget keep rushing entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.